like a guillotine. Like a guillotine. Do you the Heard you in the back. Battle. Battle. Heard you in the battle. Heard you in the battle. Heard you in the battle. And we will be talking with Victoria Reese today from the set of Zoom. <laughs> I know, I'm Bernadette. Bernadette. <laughs> and and I, I'm not I'm not surprised at all that you guys got that reference. <laughs> On this episode of Playtime, the art of your creative possible with Victoria Reeves and DJ JP Guns. I'm your host, WC Turk. short time back, I attended a storytelling event at O'Shaughnessy's Bar and Grill on Chicago's North Side. Seated at a bar table was one of the most creative couple couples I've ever met. And dear, dear friends, first of all, of our radio show and now of our podcast here, Playtime with uh, W.C. Turk. Victoria Reeves and DJ J.P. Guns, that's G-U-N-N-Z, don't forget that extra N, or the right. Z. Victoria on a canary yellow Schwinn banana seat bicycle is as ebullient in her anonymity cycling through her hometown of Evanston as she is in her work on stage and off stage. And that's no lie, by the way. Uh, Victoria Reeves is a writer, coach, producer at Vision Career Coaching. The website there is visioncareercoaching.com. And if you think I'm done, I'm not. Hold your horses. Victoria and JP Guns are both teaching artists, Johnny or JP Guns, at street level urban gateways and Bach to Rock. That's B-A-C-H, as in the as in the composer Bach. Bach to Rock teaching about DJ skills, turntablism, mixing, and scratching. Boy, we're gonna have fun talking about that. Uh, his <laughs> website is jpguns, G-U-N-N-Z dot com. And Victoria is also a teacher at Creative tribe dojo an ongoing virtual series and community that she created teaching about innovation invention how to ignite sustain your creative spark creative entrepreneurship and we are just skimming the surface friends her website is creative tribe dojo.com and we also uh, as i said mentioned uh vision career coaching.com those all uh, we'll post all those in the notes for you guys i saw you guys i was really uh, uh, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. Uh, this is this is right in your wheelhouse. I saw you guys at uh, at O'Shaughnessy's a short time back for the storytellers' true story about love, which is edited by uh, Ann Beal and Judy Goshen from Chicago Storytellers Press. Were you guys familiar with with Ann and Judy previous, or what uh, what brought you to that event? Oh my oh. gosh. 
So we go way back. So Anne has been on our show a gabillion times uh -huh. on our Soul Stories Live show uh, that we used to produce. And Judy has also been on our show. And I have a story in another book that they published, which is called Chicago Storytellers Stage to Page. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a compilation of stories by Chicago storytellers that they published uh, during the pandemic. Really, I'm pretty sure it was like early 2021. Okay, okay, great. So I want to I want to go back and fill in the blanks a little bit because you guys are incredibly prolific and phenomenally busy. You're both empty nesters, which means that you kicked your son out at the age of five. So so he's on his own working in a coal mine somewhere. Uh, but yeah. you, you're no longer doing soul stories. And apparently that has opened you up your days up for all kinds of mischief. Both of you. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Start absolutely. with Johnny first. Yeah. As you, as you mentioned in the intro, um, I'm, you know, it opened me up for, for teaching, building up curriculum from, for my teaching, um, gigs. Uh -huh. I love teaching ever since, you know, I started in, in 1994, you know, when, when Vic and I went to, to Japan, you know, to teach English, I enjoy teaching. And then when I found this local music school in the, well, these two music schools, one street level, which is in Chicago, 1637 North Ashland in uh -huh. Chicago. And, and the other one, Bach to Rock, B-A-C-H, as you said in the intro, which is 1141 uh, Church Street in Northbrook, Illinois. I found that these, these two schools have a DJ byproduct and they, you know, uh, Bach to Rock has the beat refinery and it's, it's, they're all over the country, lots of Bach to Rock local music schools. And Chicago's street level, you know, by Urban Gateways, mm -hmm. you know, they have a DJ byproduct there and wanting to, to reach the, the youth from, from ages 16 to 24. And, uh, I, and I, I feel like I'm giving back and paying it forward, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I, I wish, I mean, coming up, I mean, well, I wish I had those opportunities to, to like go to music schools and learn learn to, that type of school is kind of a global phenomena. We, I was just speaking with somebody in Mostar Bosnia. They've got a Mostar school of rock. There's yeah. uh, their school of their, their school of rock all over the country. There's teach rock. The, there are schools that are popping up across Europe as well. So this is kind of a global phenomenon. What do you think is precipitating the rise of of these rock and hip hop schools, or or is it just this is the time because people are are more accepting and more tolerant, and it's far more ubiquitous in the culture? Well, I, I think that it, which is a great question. I mean, I, I think that there's more accessibility to music that's out there you know now because of, of technology that, that we're having which is awesome and one of the things i teach in my curriculum I, I tell you know the students i say accept i have a concept that's called accept the tech you know there's a lot of purists out there that would say well, you got to just play on turntables and that's it you know and uh but i mean it's going to keep going it's going to keep progressing on so let's learn it you know so you know, one of the things, you know, because we have Spotify, because we have we have BeatSource, BeatSource, mm -hmm. uh, Beatport, and so many other music streaming services that everyone, you know, everyone is, you know, has music at their fingertips, in their houses, in their pocket, you know. So, you know, we have to figure out ways to, to like, you know, get people to, to use it much more creatively. Mm -hmm. And 
the, since the early 1980s, we always regarded as the, turn, the turntable as a musical instrument. And it was a chance to actually add that into the fray, you know, nice. of, yeah. of the musical, musical instruments that are out there mm -hmm. and, and, you know, make it much more innovative, adding in the turntable and using the, the new technology that's out there, you know. There's a, there's a lot of innovation. We're going to come back to that in, in a little bit and get down in the weeds, as I said earlier about that as well. And, and just to tease that, I, I sort of see you as a recycling agent for, for music, man. We're, we're going to talk about, about the discipline and, and the, the hand-eye coordination and the, and, and the quick judgments you got to make in order, mm -hmm. in order to keep that going and not miss a beat. We'll come back to that. Victoria, as we said, your, your son is now working in a coal mine. Your, <laughs> uh, you, you've traveled back in time to the Zoom set. <laughs> what uh what what have you since 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 soul stories what have you been what have you been keeping your yourself busy with okay wow how long do you have um well so first oh. of all i just want to say that you're like girl please uh first of all i just want to say that our son actually has started his own business in new york city uh he didn't you know the apple does not fall far off the tree and uh he's basically started a, a ticketing platform to rival eventbrite which uh -huh. is now in like four different countries so he is like crushing it in New York, which is great as creative entrepreneurs to have a son who is also a creative entrepreneur. So that is super exciting. And woo, especially, especially in a city like New York, which, which could just oh. eat an unknown person alive. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, he's just like New York is his new home. And, and we're happy about that. Huh. Uh, me personally, what have I been doing? So a lot of stuff. I actually recently uh, just published a book, which is a compilation of exercises from the Creative Tribe Dojo course that I teach, which is an on, uh, ongoing monthly subscription course. And would it be we fair to describe you as a sensei of the Creative <laughs> Tribe Dojo? <laughs> You may call me a sensei at any time. <laughs> Overjoyed to hear that. Thank you. Uh, I am I am the sensei actually, and and I would I would like to think of myself. In fact, yesterday I just said to somebody, creativity is my middle name, and then I was like, dude, I should literally change my middle name to creativity legally, because how fun would that be? Um, but reinvention, iteration, imagination trying to not even trying thinking outside of the box mm -hmm. and uh working with both individual clients and the participants in my dojo to really 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 push the envelope for example if i can give you our lesson of this week that Please. might be yeah. interesting to some of your listeners uh so our topic for may is micro adventures and a micro adventure is basically what it sounds like it's an adventure that is either an adventure of your mind or an adventure in physical space but it is micro by design in that you are um, setting yourself up to be open and responsive to have some kind of shift so each week in the micro adventure lab which is our may theme the students get an itinerary and their itinerary for this week was figure out something that is like a problem or even just a query of something that you're trying to figure out in your mm -hmm. life that you wish there was uh, a solution for and then invent that solution. <clears throat> and then whatever it is that you invent, take a photograph of it or make a description of it and bring it to class. So for an example, I am a writer and I am also a big swimmer and I, I get so many of my ideas in the pool when I'm doing laps. So forever, I was like, oh my gosh, like, why doesn't somebody make a dry erase board that you can have on the edge of the yeah. pool? Yeah. 
So when you come back from your lap and you're like, mm, you could like write down that idea uh-huh. before you forget. Forget it. it. Right? Yeah. Um, and there's actually uh, there's actually a term for this. It's called idea parking lots. So like creating parking lots for your for your wisdom. And uh, mm-hmm. so basically, I just invented one with a dry erase marker and a piece of plexiglass um, and a rubber band. <laughs> <laughs> The rubber band. That's now I'm famous at the YMCA. Uh, but you know what? It's crazy fun, right? Like to use what we have and invent solutions for our own lives instead of waiting for an outside source uh, to tell us what to do. As a Indeed. Concept. Indeed. I want to give people a, a bit of an idea of who uh, Victoria Reeves is. Tell me about your great-grandmother, Alga Weiner. Oh. <laughs> You're bringing Alga back. Uh-huh. <laughs> so my great-grandmother, Alga Weiner, wow. Uh, so she grew up in the Czech Republic at that time, and uh, and she came here as a very young woman on a boat, like many people did, to New York City. She was 19 years old with her mm-hmm. then-husband, and uh, she started a dry goods store, actually, um, on the Lower East Side in New York. Yeah, so there you go. It's in the family. She was she was a traveler. She was an inventor. She was an entrepreneur, and um, an amazing person. Your vibrancy, your your personal vibrancy, harkens back to to something that happened with with Olga. Are you talking about the jewelry? Yes. <laughs> oh, your memory is spectacular. So, as my grandmother got older, as many uh-huh. people do. Uh, she ended up in a nursing home, and her job was that she was a volunteer at the gift shop. Okay. And so when I was little, I don't know, I think maybe five or six, um, I would go visit her with my parents, and she would save for me in a little plastic bag all of this costume jewelry, which was absolutely stunning, right? You know, mm-hmm. like daisy mm-hmm. pins and big just rings and necklaces. And then I would go to school the next day wearing every single piece of that costume jewelry. <laughs> At the same time, I'm um, not sure if you're familiar with Iris Apfel. Do you know who she is? Mm-mm. Oh, my gosh. For your listeners, if they search her, she's 101 years old now. Uh, she's a designer. Uh, she's a fashionista. She has a she has a uh, Instagram page with millions of followers. She's absolutely spectacular. And, yeah, in the Iris Apfel tradition, uh, I started wearing many colors and many shapes and many designs at the same time and, and you know went on to become a doll maker i also make empowerment dolls mm-hmm. uh, which i just had a show yesterday which are extremely uh elaborate and your people can't see it but there's one of my dolls um and they have lots of hair and lots of jewelry and yeah that's um that's a big part of my artistic vision uh, what what is an empowerment doll <laughs> so an empowerment doll is a doll that they're well they're one of a kind and made over 500 so far you missed and, you missed a perfect uh, a perfect intro by the way to say that's johnny price <laughs> that's my empowerment Thank doll, you. <laughs> my empowerment doll. <laughs> and, and you are mine victoria oh, well, <laughs> i'm sorry please continue now, now we just gushed up the whole the whole, yeah, the whole internet, everyone's computer is going to be all pushed up now. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, where are these things? <laughs> um, okay, wait, I'm kind of lost. Empowerment dolls. Okay, no. So empowerment dolls are based on uh, absolutely fascinating and 
brilliant and strong women that I've known uh, throughout mm-hmm. my life and my journeys to 15 countries now so far, knock on wood. And uh, they are totally handmade by me. They are very, very different and very unique. And um, every single doll has a message on the back of her head. So this does relate to my coaching that I do uh, because the message is all about be yourself, jump into the world, jump into that which is waking you up at night. I like to call it my muse, your muse and follow your dream you know don't wait till the rainy day because the rainy day may not come mm-hmm. and so that's what the empowerment dolls are about they are vital they are vivacious they are audacious and outrageous and and spectacular and fun going going back to your great-grandmother that was a story that um that you told in uh in a piece called my creative journey in which you you perform more than recite oh and God. i, I want to ask you how do you begin telling a story and how does one learn to tell their story as effortlessly and, and dare I say, as evocatively as Victoria Reeves? Mm, This is a, thank you for the compliment. And that is a wonderful question. So, you know, I think that all of us have, mm, okay. One exercise that we did in the dojo was to pick an object that's very sacred to you, like Uh look around your house, pick an object that's sacred to you, and then write a letter from the object to yourself. Okay, because so in answer to your question of storytelling and how do you pick a place to start a story and you're referring to the story that I told about mm-hmm. that jewelry with Alga, right? I mean, it's like everyone's grandma maybe gave them jewelry, but I mean, everyone didn't necessarily wear every single piece to school the next day <laughs> and then go on to like, you know, just have this incredibly colorful uh, life of being very free. Mm-hmm. So the, the question is like, is there an object that's very meaningful for you? Or is there an event that's, I mean, I know, like every person has an event and usually it's a story that you're telling over and over and over. Like when you meet new people, you usually mm-hmm. tell that story. That is the place to start, right? It's like, wh- what what was the transitional object that has a meaning for you? Or what was the transitional moment that really, um, that just made you think about life and the meaning of life and why you're here and what's your purpose and then start to craft a story around that. Of course, the question is, how do you do that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what most people do is they overshare. That's just people in general, right? Um, and they give like all this backstory. And I love, you know, I love people, but we do do this and me included, right? So in terms of performance and doing it on a stage or, or writing it out, the question is always like, what what's the bare minimum that your audience needs to know Mm-hmm. to understand you and where you're coming from. We had a conversation that I just posted at the uh, the Chicago Writers Association website with a brand uh, strategist, Michael Finney. And his advice to creative people was simplify, 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 both in your in your brand, in your message and and what you're trying to to communicate out to the world. I, I'd love both of your thoughts on on that since you both kind of had this powerful uh reaction to it mm. yeah you know, i mean can i go for it or you want to go i was thinking about how how i would do it like a when i'm, when I'm teaching teaching a curriculum teaching mm-hmm. a, a class and just you know less is more and the thing about like teaching djing is like for anything you know let the student do do the do the work mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and and 
have them and give them a structured short length to, to do like say a, a trick if i want to have them do a, a beat juggling trick or scratching trick or whatever mm-hmm. scratch minimally and they'll get it you know trust that they'll get it you know if it's done right you know mm-hmm. and the same thing for for like teaching for in an english class you know you yeah. you you say it and then you just trust that they'll that they got it and just keep going as opposed mm-hmm. to is just like what what Finney said, you know. Simplify, keep it simple, keep it simple, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they'll get it. Well, a couple of things. So, uh, one, there, there. One of the phrases that I that I work with a lot as a teacher, as a teaching artist, is limitation forces iteration. Limitation forces iteration, and so as creatives, you know, we like to be like. Right. Like we just want to be like, I don't want anyone to hold me down. Right. <laughs> um, but in actuality, it's sort of opposite of that. Right. Because if we have too much leeway, then we're all over the map. OK. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that having I like to think of it as like bumper bowl, like when you're a kid and they put those bumper bowl things up. And mm-hmm. it's like when those things are up there, those boundaries are up there, you know, you're going to hit some pits. Right. So with storytelling, how does this relate to storytelling? Absolutely. It, it, here's how it relates. Most beginning storytellers, they want to tell a story like, I'm going to tell a story about the chapter in my life when I decided to become a skydiver. Well, mm-hmm. that is not an eight minute story to tell on a stage. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's too yeah. long. Right. Yeah. So we, you know, we, when we were coaching people with storytelling and I and I still coach people with storytelling all the time in, in my own practice. Mm-hmm. Um, w- one of the things that I will always say to people is, OK, let's pick a micro scene out of that skydiving chapter, when you said to yourself, I want to learn how to skydive, what was that moment of epiphany? What was that moment of transition? And then in that moment of transition, let's further hone and hone and hone and hone and hone, right? To what were you doing? What did it smell like? What were you wearing, right? Get into the the tactile element. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then the other piece is present tense, right? Mm -hmm. Tell the story in present tense. I think people have have a misconception i I attempted stand-up comedy for for a time back in the 80s they they have this crazy rule where they expect you to be funny so but but i was (laughs) crazy oh you know i you know (laughs) i i i tried it a couple of times i didn't think that i did very well i ended up at a billy crystal show at uh at the park west and right. and met uh, the MC for for who's on first uh, the late great Ted Holum who was on Tonight Show, and his first his first re- response to me was, "Why didn't you come back? You did well, mm-hmm. and you you stayed it out. You 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 improved. You know, you all you have to do is stand in front of the mirror. At that at that time, you know, we were all, we were recording ourselves on cassettes." Uh, but record yourself, play it back, rehearse in front of the mirror. You took a job at a karaoke bar after college. <laughs> I do my research on this, darling. You really? I was like, yeah. this is impressive. Um, <laughs> at, uh, at Who's Next? Oh, my God. Uh, in, in 1986, in wow. which you spent hours a day in front of a microphone. 100%. Um, so... <laughs> So you're very, very comfortable on stage in front of people. You, 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 you've done stand-up, you do storytelling. How much, how much storytelling is a learned skill and how much is 
that natural innate exuberance. Mm, wow. Well, first, I just want to backtrack and say that my dad told me a long time ago, Victoria, if you could get paid to talk, that would be the perfect job <laughs> for you. And he was right. Bam. Uh, and I, Done. <laughs> nailed it. Thank you, Dad, <laughs> in the afterlife calling me back. Um, but it's true. And uh, and and being a, being a an MC at a karaoke bar was an uh -huh. amazing job because, yeah, eight hours a day on a mic. But here's the thing. It's not it was not the Victoria show. Right. Mm -hmm, so it's like mm -hmm. how your question was, you know, is it natural or is it a cultivated skill? You know, I'll, I'll bring my parents into the whole uh, interview today. My mom used to always say people are like flowers. They need to be watered. Mm -hmm. In other words, mm -hmm. be and you, Bill Turk, are wonderful at this. Like, be interested in other people, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And listen to what they are, uh, what they want to talk about, and ask them questions. So, how do you engage a room full of, you know, drugs? Frankly, <laughs> 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 on Rush Street and the and whatever that <laughs> year that was, you know, like talk about stuff that they want to talk about. Get yeah. them up on stage. Be like, oh my God, that's a crazy shirt that you're wearing. Where'd you get that? Right? Like, like figure out. I, of course, you could do the age-old tourist thing anybody here from idaho or iowa or whatever you know the crowd goes wild so yeah. you know all of that sort of um let's say creating a salon type environment mm -hmm. where you um not only just allow but encourage people to engage and participate uh that is a huge part of knowing how to captivate a room does that make sense it does it does but you you also you also I'm sure cultivated this particular skill is being being brief, getting in and out of a moment or a thought with an exclamation point, or at the very least a period rather than a comma or a semicolon or a dot, dot, dot. A hundred percent. And, but I think that has to do with also being mindful of your audience because most people love you human race, but most people are narcissists, you know, yeah, like they yeah, are, like yeah. they just like, Oh, here's me. It's the me show. Right. I mean, that's, yeah. I, I, have you ever heard of, um, Oh my gosh, who's the guy? Oh, okay. Seth Godin. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. I do. Yeah. Oh my God, he's like my hero. So Seth Godin has this this wonderful, you know, quote. I can't say it verbatim, but you know about how like everyone thinks like, oh my God, you know, Facebook is so spectacular because I could just go on and say all my thoughts, and everyone's gonna hear what I have to say. But guess what? It's really like a million people or eight million people mm -hmm. shouting into the wind all of our thoughts at the same time, mm -hmm. and hoping that somebody gives a crap about what we have to say. Right? Johnny, you you know where I'm going with this. I, I I wanted to come back to you because you're in that moment now. Yes. where where it's for you it's about the beat it's about the music it's about the sound it's about yeah. getting people out on the dance floor or moving mm -hmm. them off the dance floor and getting them to the bar i've been in dj booths and i've i've watched i know the science of that uh, of being able to i i've i had a, I had a great great friend this was many many years ago back when victoria was uh, at a karaoke bar on on rust street um <laughs> who would be able to predict and 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 then execute that he could watch. I'll get I'll get couples to dance together. I'll bring mm -hmm. I'll bring that guy over to this girl. Mm -hmm. They'll leave together. I'll clear the dance floor. I'll fill the dance floor. I'll right. get everybody to the to the bars. Right. And and that was all dependent on the beat and the mood and and all of it. You have to be in that moment when you're when you're announcing or announce or 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 saying something where where you have to hit that mark and get in and get out clean and tight yes yes the key for that is basically is timing timing 
is really important. And you mentioned the mood, creating the mood and telling yourself, you know, like the same thing, like your friend said, I'm going to get that, that guy to meet that woman. I know if I play the song um, Forever Young by Alphaville, they're going to love it. And they're going to come together and do it. If I play, if I play the Dion Warwick, that's what friends are for. You know, there's romantic ro- romanticness going to happen right there. There's the fire that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and also going to bring, bring people together. One of the things that I do for for weddings now, I would tell the when I'm having an interview with a one on one with the bride and groom, I would say, "Hey, when we're doing introductions for brides and grooms, how about saying something really funny about that particular person because it gives me more to say." Mm-hmm. So then they would they would get on and I would I would say something like, you know, you know, as I'm introducing the the couple or the the bridal party and I, w- I would say, Amy, I'll pay this check now, you know, and then people were laughing, you know, and, and you know, or 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 Robbie standing at six foot five. Robbie. Yes, I play basketball. Thompson. Mm-hmm. And he comes out and everyone's laughing because this is the thing that he usually says, you know, and um, so without, and without thing- a momentary acumen, without 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 that that ability to to be in the moment and appropriate for the moment and maybe even push the boundaries and know where to push the boundaries. That has to come with with experience. It, it comes a lot with experience. You're going to mess that up pretty bad. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been doing it for a long time for since since well, since 1988. Uh-huh. And, and, and I, I think with being comfortable in front of people, that's also a factor too. I mean, if yeah. you're, if you're nervous, you're not going to be able to concentrate. You're going to be concentrating on other things. You know, I wonder if everyone likes how I sound, <laughs> you know, do they, do well, they sound, but you know, but. You're uh, bringing up a really interesting point though, Johnny, you know, which, which is the whole thing of, of really staying focused on your trajectory and, and confident mm-hmm. in your gifts and what you're bringing to the table and not being, I would like to say, codependent, uh, which is a challenge that a lot of us have in the performing arts or just yeah. in human humankind in general, yeah. right? On other people's reactions, right? So right. I mean that I feel like one of the things that 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 Bill that you're trying to well not trying, but you that you're that you're exploring with this questioning is mm-hmm. like how is it that we're able to both stay in the moment but also like create an environment. And what is your thing, honey? Do you remember um off of your Facebook page, which says like, you know, you create, you, you, uh, the room is your. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the room is, is my, um, canvas canvas. The people are my tools and the, um, I'm, I'm just Music. trying to think about it. And I, I was like, it, I, I was in this really effervescent mood when I, when I came up with this, this, this thing, I'm, I'm going to come across, it's going to get me. You got to find it. Well, you know what, we'll definitely come back to that. But uh, where I was also going with this is, and I I touched on it earlier, Mm -hmm. can anyone learn these skills and what percentage of the ebullience on stage or the, the freeness or the lightness on stage before a crowd is natural? Well, there is to, to, you know, the other side of that, I would say the naturalness of being able to perform on stage without getting so nervous has to happen. You know, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you had to have a 60, 40 split where the 60% you have to feel natural. I mean, I mean, mean, right now I I teach at 
Bach to rock and my students are as young as six years old up uh -huh. to, you know, up, up to adults, you know, who are like fifties, you know. But WC Turk is very comfortable uh, <laughs> in his cave. Yeah. Um, can, can I break out of that by, by getting on stage and then just spending more and more time on stage and learning through failure rather than becoming uh, weighted by it. Yeah, yeah. I would say you can you can learn from the experience, you know, and, and that's basically like how I've learned it. And that's basically how I teach it as well. You know, for example, you know, I have some, we, we have like some culminating performances for my students at Box to Rock mm -hmm. and the same thing at street level where after six or, or seven weeks, they put together what you know a, a set of like 10 songs and we get we put it put on a little show and they get to bring their parents and their friends and stuff over and you know it's a nice big studio back there and they perform it you know mm -hmm. so it, it's it, it gets them to perform and gets them used to the, the concept of performing and so really you know alleviating that performance and anxiety mm -hmm. you know it's one thing to learn how to do the techniques and stuff but then to actually apply them it's a whole different different ball of wax you know mm -hmm. and so that this is it's this is how you learn and, and of course at this situation everything is positive as opposed to putting them out there in the you know in, in a bar or, or yeah. you know mm -hmm. a public event you know where people are going to probably be not so nice you know mm -hmm. so we keep it still contained you know within the school so that when they're ready to actually go out it's going to ha happen form, you know, second nature. Okay. Okay. Uh, Vic, give us a writer's uh, perspective on that question. Um, oh, there's like so <laughs> many things to talk about. Well, first of all, I think that I would like to reframe the, the concept of making mistakes. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And I would like to call it iteration, which is one of my favorite words, you know, and if you think about every invention that's ever happened since the beginning of time, there have been so many different versions. Even I was thinking yep. about this the other day, like, remember the Sony Walkman, mm -hmm. right? Which then morphed into what the iPod? Mm -hmm. which then morphed into our cell phones, which basically do a million functions and they're even smaller in some ways. Yeah. yeah. Right? So, I mean, that to me, that's just the perfect example. It's just that like every time that we create something, whatever it is, and then we put it out to the universe. And that's really the way that I see it. Mm -hmm. uh, I see the entire process as like a conversation with the universe. Right. And I just show up. And I show up and I show up and I show up, right? And sometimes people don't get what I'm talking about. Like, who is this girl? What is she saying, right? But then other times like, oh my God, she's a genius, right? So like, am I a fool or a genius? I, you know, the jury's still out. But the point is like, <laughs> I just still keep trying to show up and show up and show up. Yeah. And, the, and my point is this in terms of storytelling, okay? First, we have to tell the story to ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I have three key questions that I ask everybody. I would love to ask them to you, WC Turk. Number one is, who are you? I'm an Elvis impersonator. <laughs> Actually, I, I, I'm a writer and an artist. Okay, why are you here? On, on Earth or in this podcast? It's rhetorical. I think I've got some lessons that people can benefit from, some perspectives. Beautiful. And what's the story that you came to tell? Perseverance. Perseverance and survival. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you know, you see what I'm saying? That those are those are beautiful questions because you that's the essence of that's you. That's great. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And yeah. We all know that. We know that on a visceral level is what I'm what I'm uh -huh. trying to convey. So the so the question is, sorry to cut you off, but I just want to no, just finish please. thought real quick. The question is first we have to tell our story to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Before we can tell it to the world. Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. I will just flash back for a second to social media because, you know, this is like my latest, you know, this is the rock I'm going to die on <laughs> in this month. You know, wait till mm -hmm. next month, it'll be different. But uh, but the fact is, is that social media has made us, as much as it has benefits and it's brought mm -hmm. many of us together, mm -hmm. it's also made us to have this external referent, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this constant, like, bing, 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 bing. Do people like me or they don't like <laughs> yeah. me? Yeah. I don't exist, right? And so really, you know, detaching from that and, and telling our stories to ourselves and, and understanding and praising and valuing our stories for ourselves, that's how we get on stage. Mm -hmm. That's how we make those mistakes as we're calling them and have the courage, as you said, resilience, mm -hmm. that's one of my favorite words as well, and perseverance and the courage to keep moving forward in our practice, whatever that is. As, as you were speaking, I, I kept thinking back to stand-up comics yes. who are up on stage night after night after night and they're testing in front of that audience what works and what doesn't work. 100%. You know, and, and when, when we hear when we hear these, these HBO specials or the Comedy Central specials or, or what have you, where every joke is just, is just nailing it. Jim Gaffigan, I, I think, is a, is a great, great example of, of this, yeah. where he... He has tested all these jokes and discarded what doesn't work, and he's kept what what hits, what what nails it. But uh, but when you're seeing a Netflix special, you're not seeing all that iteration that we were talking about. That's right. right. That's you know, exactly the, right. Yeah. You know, building the plane while flying it, mm -hmm, as they say, mm -hmm. right, or riding mm -hmm. on stage, which mm -hmm. is another great expression, which is what stand up really is, right? When people go to a program and they see Victoria Reeves. <laughs> and you are you you dominate the stage if you're if if you don't have to if, if it's not prescribed that you need to stand in front of a podium and a microphone you're working the stage <laughs> that is true <laughs> not everybody can do that speak about individuality in storytelling and storytelling style mm. and and how does a person find their voice as opposed to piggybacking on on the voice and the persona and the style of Victoria Reeves. Okay, I I absolutely adore this question and this is what we talk about at Creative Tribe Dojo pretty much every time. Mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you you're not trying to be someone else, you're trying to be yourself. Mm -hmm. And the weird thing about that, well it's sort of a surprising aspect is that like the personal is universal so that the more personal you are and the more that you're like differentiating yourself yeah. as it were and and really honing and clarifying as you're saying your voice then it becomes universal mm -hmm. so it's mm -hmm. not that everyone had the same exact experience that you had in the story you rhetorical you anybody on a stage but it's that like as you really really dial down into the essence of what makes you you then people will find their place of relating to and connecting with you themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So again, this circles back to flipping the script of your focus, right? Instead of being like, how can I be funny? 
Like, why is Jim Gaffigan funny? He's not trying to be funny. He's witty. He's observant. He's mm -hmm. intelligent, right? Mm -hmm. Jerry Seinfeld, let's go way back, right? Mm -hmm. What the heck was Seinfeld? Observations. Observational humor. There's a whole show, right? And then remember the show when they're like, let's do a show about nothing, which was such a great... Uh -huh. Like, yeah, that is the show. <laughs> let's do a show about a show about nothing, right? So... So what am I saying? So we all have our own different way of seeing the world. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I'll circle back to this idea of the um, idea of parking lots. Like, for example, oh, so I have this little box here. I don't know if you can see it. But I call this like the idea archives box. And in this is just note cards for people that can't see. It's just note cards. But then on the note cards, I'll do like moment capture drawings. Mm -hmm, so I'll just mm -hmm. sit down at the end of the day and just do a moment capture drawing. It's just they're like hieroglyphs. They're just, they don't mean anything to anyone but me. And then I'll put a name, like a word on it that represents the symbol of the energy of the drawing and the date. So what am I doing with these little drawings? I could go back here later and just go, oh, okay, on May 5th of a year ago, actually, uh, I did this picture called Connected with this like vibrational energy out to the world and me sitting on a lotus flower. <laughs> wow, right? But then what, what am I going to do with that? I don't know. I could write a story from it, right? I could make a doll about it. I could teach yeah. a class about it. So yeah. capturing your ideas, like finding a way mm -hmm. and a system that works for you to capture your ideas because they're golden and they're precious and they're unique and they're sacred. I want to talk about hearing yourself speak words that you've written as, as an editing tool at the, at the let's just write conference uh, for the Chicago writers association, best-selling author, Elizabeth Wetmore, who, who wrote a, a brilliant, brilliant book, Valentine. She told the audience that she read the entire book aloud before publishing. I'm in the process of recording and editing two of my latest novels and which is anywhere from 12 to 18 or 20 hours speaking first and then and then going back and editing. I'd love your thoughts on the importance of hearing your written words as an editing device. I love this. So I, I have a similar approach that I do, but I will. So I am also writing a long form piece. It's nonfiction. Uh -huh. And what I will do is record it to myself at the end of the chapter. And then I'll pop in my headphones and go to the gym. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and just like listen to it while I'm working out or going shopping or whatever. Like it's just not, it's uh -huh. on a rewind, right? Mm -hmm. Like an eight track. Um, but I don't wait till the end of the book. I do a chapter by chapter. And the reason that I do that is because like the content is really fresh for me and it's mm -hmm. so brilliant and it can be very humbling, right? Cause you're like, oh my God, I was like going on and on there <laughs> or I nailed that, that was that was tight, right? Um, but yes, I think hearing our voice and, and writing in the vernacular of the way that we communicate is such an art form. And the mm -hmm. only way that we mm -hmm. get better at it is by doing it. Yeah, And then, you know, sometimes making making mistakes uh let's see becoming better at doing it <laughs> does that make sense it, it makes perfect sense define uh, and and this goes out to both of you guys define introvert because i think that's also that's also a big part of the the algorithm here i think a lot of writers and authors would categorize themselves as introverts i don't see that that label being affixed to either of you by any stretch, but I could be wrong. Um, and that could be, that could be a, a, a measure of, of your skill level. Um, Victoria, we'll start with you. 
Well, first of all, I'd like you to know that we live in a shotgun apartment. And for people that are not in the Chicago area, we have the entire top floor of a two flat, okay? And uh, the interesting point about that is like my my studio space is in the back uh-huh. and then Johnny is kind of like around a corner in a place where we can't see each other. And we will spend time at home like 10 hours and not even talk to each other at all. Okay. Um, or maybe get together and have a sandwich and be like, hey, how's it going? See ya. And then go back into our caves. So I would say that in some ways you really are very introverted uh-huh. and uh, have to have that incubation time. So Mm -hmm. I have decided that the creative process has three phases, incubation, creation, and connection. And you might be in various points of that stage in like for you, um, WC Turk, you are writing and also doing visual art, right? So you might Mm be, or you're writing two novels, right? So in the one novel, you might be in the the creation space. In the other novel, you might be in the connection space. Like, okay, I'm ready to take my show on the road. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. when you're in the incubation space, forget about it. Don't call me. Don't knock on the door. Do yeah. not come near me because I'm incubating. And that's that's that that introverted side of you. That's necessary. It's necessary. Yeah, I, I've I've long talked about the necessity of of silence and unencumbered, uninterrupted thought when you're at, when you're in, in that that incubation process. Which is absolutely critical, but at some point we need to we need to break break free of that. Uh, how do you do that? Well, the thing is, I agree. In in any creative process, you have to go through those phases: incubation, creative creation, and and then connection. I guess the motivation is to be a bit of an extrovert before you become, you know, while you're an introvert, you know, because you're like, okay, I, I'm going to eventually put my my pieces out but in order to make it make it best you have to be in but aren't, in, aren't they aren't, aren't being an extrovert and an introvert kind of mutually exclusive but what i get from you guys is that you can be an introvert but you're also building skills for for that necessity of getting out in the world when you need right. to be extroverted well when it comes to the creative process being an introvert is is primary okay. even like when i'm doing gigs i don't yeah. really want people to come to me and talk and ask me and to play requests that's the introverted part of me someone mm-hmm. walks up to me and say can you can you play this can you play this request and and i would go i, I would go okay <laughs> you know so as a because i'm feeling like that person is totally interrupting my flow you know right right so and and, and the creative process of, of like you know not only just djing i also I'm also working on making beats, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you have to be a, a total introvert in order to be in the studio to make sure that you're, you know, you're making the right sounds go because you're going to, you're going to play these eventually. So you're not, you're not, Im- you're not necessarily improving or, or are you uh, at some point or how much, how much of, of, of what you're building is, is improv in the moment? I would say, um, about 40%, well, about 40% is, would be practiced and the, and the other 60% would be improvisation yeah. because it depends upon how you read the room. What's the mood in the room, right? Yeah, and yeah. It change, you know, one, on a Friday night, it could be, I could be playing like current dance music and then, but on a Saturday night in the same venue, mm-hmm. I could be totally doing like a, a whole, a whole eighties party, 
you know, and it's not going to be any of the music that I play that's in the current scene. So you basically have to to do a lot of improvisation and watch the crowds and stuff. Even in that part, that part of, you know, the introversion also applies to that as well, because you having that moment to yourself to to actually, you know, ask yourself these the questions to yourself. OK, this is is this the same or is it different? You know, and then you go exactly from there. So I, um, I just wanted you to also talk about Serato and the crates, because I think it might be oh, helpful yeah. for people to understand all the archives that you right. create and then you're right. deviating from that. Well, the, the, you know, it goes right back to, you know, from like back in the days, uh, uh, W.C. Turk, when we were, you know, just playing only vinyl. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like if, if, if I'm if you book a party, you book book me at a party. Now I'm at home before I go to your party. I have to rearrange my vinyl records, you know, and take and empty out all of my crates, my physical crates. Now mm -hmm. with Serato, I can I can start organizing my music, you know, and they're all in MP3 form and I don't have to, you know, bring like six or seven crates and reorganize them and stuff. I can just do it right here. I mean, as mm -hmm. I'm speaking to you right now, I'm looking, I, 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 before I, I, we came to this interview, I was organizing uh, an upcoming party, an 80s party that I'm doing. And, and just getting the music together, which goes for the introversion yeah. part. Yeah. You know, it's like, I don't want anyone to, to be bothering me while I'm in deep thought trying to figure out, because you have to think about what songs sound good mixed together. Yes. Yeah. You know, BPM wise, beats mm -hmm. per minute wise, mm -hmm. and, and not all songs that have the same BPMs, beats per minute, are going to sound good mixed together. Mm -hmm. So then in the Serato, I have to test it just like the, the comedian is testing their jokes. You know, I'm testing the mixes, you know, on the, in, in the, the action, yeah. the Serato, putting them together and then saying, okay, okay, now I'm playing it, you know, at home in the home studio uh -huh, uh -huh. saying to myself, okay, this is, this is it. I'm in my headphones and nobody can hear me. I don't want anyone hearing this. You know, I just recently had some people ask me online, um, for this upcoming party, mm -hmm. could you share your pot, your 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 playlist that you're gonna play? And I and I said, no, I can't. I won't. No. Find out when you get there. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, are you coming to the party? Yes. Okay. Well, then you'll you'll hear you'll it. Hear it. <laughs> you'll hear it. You get there. I'm not gonna share it. Could you could you share it on Spotify? And I'm like, oh, that's just okay. Now we're messing up here. Getting a little bit too yeah. too crazy here. They're trying to but, undercut you. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I don't. That talk about obsolescence. You're like right, exactly. Nice. I'm shooting <laughs> myself in the foot, you know. Uh -huh. so, I mean, could you so could I, you just put your whole program up on Spotify on and Spotify. send us our refund? Just send right. it in a, in a you know. Yeah, just file. just send us our deposit. Exactly, exactly. It's like and, there goes the refund too. You know. So, so I want to come. I want to come back to back to your your teaching uh, and school of rock and and just the immense amount of musical knowledge. That you have to hold and and the musical aspect uh, of it as well but i first wanted to touch on this with both of you okay. stage fright there's been there's been a, a huge amount of cultural capital um expended on performers throughout eternity on how to overcome being on stage stage fright in in one minute or less no 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 take as much time as you need uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, yes or no answers. I've just got 782 more questions. They're all yes or no answers. <laughs> uh, but talk about, talk about, uh, and, and Vic, we'll start with you. 
let's let's start uh, for for the storyteller on yeah. on how to overcome stage fright. Okay. Oh, again, one of my favorite topics. So I know for sure after being on stage for so long uh -huh. that the silence in between the words is just as valuable and precious as the words themselves. Negative okay? space. The negative space, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so learning how to just really, so I'm a yoga person, so I'll be like backstage, I'm doing downward dog, I'm stretching it out. I mean, real talk, right? Yeah. So I'm doing all of these things to really immerse myself in the tactile nature of my body. Mm -hmm. So that the minute that I go up to the microphone, I'm like, okay, I can feel myself. I can feel my spine. I can feel, I can just feel my body and myself. Then when I see the crowd, so of course I have the story memorized, needless to say, because I do not read on stage. That's my thing. Um, I have it memorized, but I memorize it in what are called beats. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the beats are sort of the highlight points of the story that I want to touch on. Okay. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> um, it might be dates. It might be information. It might be just a, a nuance of something that I, that I for sure want to include, mm -hmm. but, but embedded within those beats is the performative aspect of listening to the audience, playing off of them. For example, anybody who wants to get into storytelling as a performance art, most shows give you eight to 10 minutes. And most beginning storytellers will write a 10 minute story. <laughs> and then they get on stage and the bell goes off and they're like, what the heck happened? Well, you didn't account for the fact that human beings are gonna be there hearing yeah. your story, Yeah. right? Yeah. So for sure you gotta give yourself at least a minute for people to respond. The mm -hmm. other thing is laughter, okay? So when people laugh, you know, there's an ebb and a flow. But beginning tellers or stand-ups or any public speakers, right? They'll jump in right at the ebb. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and continue but you have to like let that laughter organically you know expand out and know the timing so we're talking about timing what does that have to do with stage fright everything right because when you say to yourself this is my house <laughs> right for the next 10 minutes or however long you're on that mic this is my house Mm -hmm. um, and I am just having a conversation, which might sound weird. How can you have a conversation with 300 people or 20 people or 1,000 people? You can. Mm -hmm. There's an energy to the group, right? And the difference between what, what both of you do from a, a crowd standpoint, Johnny, you're not looking in the faces of the people. They're not, they're not standing there stoically expecting mm. you to tell them or to entertain them they're having they're having drinks they're partying with their friends right. they're dancing they're they're sort of they're sort of in in the mood victoria when you're on stage you're face to face with people and they are what whether whether that's whether it's it's an overt expectation or or a a quieter expectation there's still that expectation of you got to entertain me. You have to entertain me. You, Victoria, must entertain me. Talk about how you come to, to those specific aspects of, of storytelling. You mean in terms of being confident that I can entertain people? Yeah, yeah. Or, or, <laughs> or do you even care? If, oh, if you... Because, because, and, and, and I'm sorry to keep going on here, no. but what I, what I'm hearing from you is, is that, that it's, 
it's planning, training, simplification, and understanding your audience. And as you, you, you said you, you memorize through beats in a story or by yeah. assigning beats to a story. So you have all of these structural criteria. Does that help you to negate that expectant expression from an audience because you're focused on on the pillars of of your um, of your your story construction and storytelling? Yes, and also I'm I'm confident in my ability. And this this might sound totally left field, mm -hmm. but I would like to talk about exercise for a second. Yeah, please. <laughs> So I'm, I'm a big fan of exercising mm -hmm. and I literally, my goal is to exercise an hour every day. I don't care if it's like swimming, riding my yellow bike, as you so wonderfully mentioned, <laughs> uh, walking, whatever it is, I got to move. And what does it have to do with, with performance and confidence? Everything, right? Mm. Um, doing my solo show, Brassy and Intrepid, Fighting to Be Me, which I did two years ago, that was one of the most challenging things I've ever done in my life. I mean, I was alone on a stage. Mm -hmm. I, the only prop I had was like a blanket and a basket. I had no mm -hmm. set. It was me, my voice, my body, my intonation, and my facial expression for an hour, yeah. right? I mean, so that was very, very, talk about vulnerable, right? And the whole show was about being, being brassy and intrepid, like finding yeah. what the show was about, but it was really yeah. personal narrative. And exhausting. And, uh, not, I mean, actually not exhausting, pretty energizing, but just very like, so, okay. So short story. So I performed the, the show twice as part of Philea Solo. Uh, they have a storytelling uh solo storytelling festival every year, Lifeline Theater. Mm -hmm. And the first time I did it, it was like almost all men in the audience, okay? And the opening scene is me at Beloit College with my friends putting a speculum in and observing my <laughs> cervix for the first time at 19 years old, okay? I mean, not really, but I'm talking about it in the story. Yeah. And it's like all guys in the audience, I'm like, oh my God, like this is not, <laughs> this is not gonna land, you know? And they're just looking at me like, who is this chick? But I mean, then the second time I performed the show, it was like all women of a certain age and they were like, you're flipping hysterical, right? Yeah, yeah. So again, I circle back to the thing of we cannot evaluate our progress and our process and our message mm -hmm. on the response of other people, right? And this is where the physical fitness part comes in and the affirmations and the journaling and like all, like everything that we can do. I love to say like your best marketing approach is loving yourself. When you love yourself, it's palpable. People can feel it, right? It's a, it's real. It's an yeah, energy. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. And so that's where that detachment comes in because it's just like, you know what? Like, I love myself. I love what I'm doing. And I love you, people that have come to sit and listen to that, which I've, you know, conjured up from my inner soul. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for being here. And let's let's just get it on and do it. But there's a definite detachment. We're going to finish up with you, J.P. Guns, okay. uh, with, uh, with color commentary from the 70s uh, and Victoria, uh, Victoria Reeves in, in our Zoom set. Um, the working knowledge, uh, and, and so we'll, we'll filter all this through, through the Bach to Rock and, and your, other, your other teaching um, uh, venues. Um, the working knowledge of music for drops and cues is um is immense and, and you have to do that without breaking a beat how do you begin teaching teaching a class or teaching students 
how to be how to be a DJ. What what what's what's lesson number one? Lesson number one is how to drop an actual analog vinyl record on a turntable. Uh huh. Drop the first note or the first sound on an actual analog vinyl, mm-hmm. and that that's going to force the the student to use the, the whole entire equipment. You know, like the in, the the headphone portion mm-hmm. and using their headphones instead of just dropping the record and just putting the the needle on the record and just playing they're going to have to know all of the mechanics and know the the actual equipment the the hardware yeah and that's lesson one and then how to you know how to understand counts i use a metronome and now you know on our phone we have the we have the the electronic metronome Mm -hmm. phone i use the metronome app and then i would and, and i would say five six seven eight and then they play interesting song there and then once they know how to do that on vinyl records pushing the record that's Mm -hmm. spinning round and round Mm -hmm. then they're gonna then they're gonna develop the muscle memory on how to to actually when to start in using their timing Mm -hmm. in the new equipment that's out right now you know we have DJ controllers, you know, the, the DJ controllers basically has the button pressing. So you can right. actually press the button and the the first sound, we call it dropping on the one, which is the dropping and the playing the record on the first sound, mm-hmm. it's going to be played a lot faster. Mm-hmm. When you're using, as opposed to on turntables, you're, you're going to basically be pulling the record back and then pushing it forward, pulling it back and so on and so forth. And then at the beat of a song that's already playing now, yeah. you have to exactly match the ones with the ones. For example, if I'm playing like, I would say like a, like a perfect example would be the Give Me Tonight song by, by Shannon. If I go, you know, that's the first sound is, can you hear that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know that, so that at first, that's the one, mm-hmm. right? And so, but you know, I just press the button and it's going to come on quicker. But when you're doing it on with, with vinyl records, it's going to sound like this, right? So when it's sounding like that, that's going to take a little extra, extra hand movement with that. So we've got to train the, train the student on how to actually push the record so you can have that, that sound. And you want to be able to play just as precisely as you would when you're pressing, pressing it on the and so that's 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 the first class that I'm teaching how to drop on the ones, which is basically a helpmate, you know, pre uh, like a pretext to knowing how to mix records together on the timing, on the matching the ones with the ones, and being a, a successful clean mixing DJ to keep the party progressive. Uh, Victoria brought up something really interesting that I hadn't hadn't considered, and that's the exercise aspect of this. I, I, I've seen you move in, uh, in in pulling together turntables and beats and uh, and mixes and everything. You've got to be in shape to do that. You're working hard and fast, yeah. man. Yeah, I do. I stretch a lot when I'm doing a gig. Like uh-huh. when I'm having just before I'm doing a gig, I stretch my my fingers, my hands. My, my body, I'm doing yeah. over stretches and stuff because depending on where I am, like if I have the two turntables, I would like to, or if I'm doing like a scratch, a hip hop show, mm-hmm. I want to show 
like some something that's going to stand out from other DJs. Like I would do a body trick and hit the record with my back and stuff and, you know, hitting turns and still staying on beat. You know, I mean, you have to you have to make sure you're still staying clean on beat, you know, and so the needles aren't and sounds aren't jumping all over the place, you know, a little a little finesse and showmanship. Yeah, exactly. And, and something because not everybody wants to dance, right? But yeah, they, yeah. They, want, they want to stay engaged. So it's a great way to keep the audiences engaged. You know, but you want it, you want to feel that beat. You want to feel it against your chest. You want, yeah. you want, you want it to sort of consume you. You said, you said earlier that, that you, you kind of see the, uh, the dance floor or the club as, mm-hmm. as your canvas. I immediately thought of of these large canvases where the intention is to consume the viewer, and right. and that is very much the same as as music, as what you do in in clubs and and as a DJ. What is for your students? What is the takeaway for those who might not go on to be or mm-hmm. or even even want to be a DJ? What are you hoping that they will take away from, from the experience? Well, they'll take away the, the idea that this is something that is not so easy. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, we, you know, when we, when I look at a musician playing a guitar or a drummer mm-hmm, playing mm-hmm. a drum, they have that finesse, you know, and that those, they create those beautiful sounds and they're doing it almost effortlessly. You know, and it makes you want to get up there and grab a guitar and start strumming and thinking, you know, you're going to create those same sounds where, you know, you would sound like trash. Right. But because you didn't practice, I want them to walk away knowing that this is not an easy thing to do when they're learning how to drop a record on on the ones. They're learning how to mix two records at the same time that not only have the same BPMs, but have different BPMs beats per Mm -hmm. minute. Mm-hmm. And also how to do different scratches and staying on beat, creating your own percussive element as the as the song that's already going, and you're adding that extra punctuation to it by doing you know a brief scratch session. These things take a lot of practice in order to to make the sound sound clean. You know, I was sweating just watching you, man. <laughs> I just want to throw something out. So yeah. so Johnny said earlier that he teaches at two different schools. One is street level, which is basically in Wicker Park, part of Chicago, uh-huh. and it's a drop-in after school uh pro- afternoon program. It's mm-hmm, young adults. Mm-hmm. Um and it's a free program which is basically subsidized by uh Urban Gateways, right? Which yeah, yeah. is in the Chicago public school system. So these are I would say generally low income folks, mostly gentlemen, right? Some women come in there uh from low from like west and south sides of chicago and mm-hmm. a very uh diverse audience and then johnny's up uh at box rock which is in northbrook which is a pretty well-heeled mm-hmm. crowd of folks who can easily afford to buy their children whatever technology they would ever need yeah, the only yeah. reason i'm making this comparison is to say that you know for me as an outside observer and i go with johnny to a lot of these different uh, places in both of these where he teaches is that you know music and having the tools and the skills to express yourself in this way is so incredibly powerful mm-hmm. and it opens up these young people and the adults as well but i was specifically want to talk to the younger people that he works with to like this whole different way of articulating that which has no words yeah and i don't even know that they would know how to say it that way themselves but you can see it you know when you see that i've been to these performances and it's very powerful it's the, the work he's doing is very powerful what you do 
employs a couple of different genres. It harkens back because hip hop grew out of out of the I think it grew out of Philadelphia was was the first the first place that that hip hop even though uh, Chuck Berry famously sort of sort of raps with uh, yeah he did he did rap in 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 uh, one of the songs yes um, yes well, uh, yeah. of, uh 1958 and i'm drawing a blank on it right now I started doing the things you used to do as i was motivating over the hill i saw me leaning in a coupe de a cadillac rolling on an open road nothing out to run my vehicle a cadillac doing about nine to five moves bumper to bumper rolling side to side maybelline why can't you be true But but actual hip hop sort of grew out of the inner city where kids, black kids couldn't couldn't afford guitars and drum kits and amps and blah blah blah. Right. You know, so so that was their way of expressing their artistry to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that, but then there's also uh, we had a great conversation on the radio show with Trevor Horn, a video killed the radio star, but he also he also was was a key member of Art of Noise, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and the whole the whole genre of 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 artistic noise goes back to the French used it. We're we're experimenting with it during during uh, occupation under the Nazis in the Second uh-huh. World War. Uh, uh-huh. But but you what you do is an extension of both of those mm. is really a substantial art form. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing is, you know, just in addition to it's a very powerful thing. Mm-hmm. And the takeaway also is what kids can actually have a different way of and discovering that there are different ways of, uh, of self-expression and they find it and then they they can do more interpretive things with it. You know, yep. like if I'm doing the, you mentioned the art of noise, like the, the close to the edge song, you know, the, like the, that's it. Yeah. Right. And, and, and how I can, I can basically mess around with it. I can mess around with the, with, with the, the snare of it and, and do my own remixing and do like, and then they're, they're like, realizing that they can do something else do some live remixing right there because of the new tech that's out there you know it's giving them the realization that i don't have to just press play i can i can i can do more with this with this music live and really engage the crowd and get people to react and 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 be pretty much a god for that one night for that one occasion you know that's so awesome so, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing that they will walk away from. And then they get the buzz the next next school day. Let's say they, they I teach them how to do this and they practice and they go and do their their school party, middle school party. Uh-huh. or whatever. And now the next Monday after the weekend, they did the party. They're buzzing all over the school. You know, they're you know, <laughs> everybody's inviting them to, to their lunchroom tables. <laughs> you know? so, remember back in the day, man, the lunchroom was like the hardest place to be, you know, <laughs> the school. But then after you're doing some, some, some DJing or performing, yeah. whether you're on stage doing a performance on stage or you're doing a DJ at a party that's on the weekend, you come back the next day on a Monday morning or a Monday afternoon, and then now everyone wants you to sit at the lunchroom table with them. You know, hey man, come on over here. 
<laughs> you know so yeah it's 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 a great that's it, it's creating memories create moments you indeed, know indeed and realizing that you know the decisions that you make can can be like that 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 cornerstone behind you know your your experience your future experiences mm-hmm. that's going to happen you know i mean i'm doing going to do this thing i'm going to rock the house i'm going to do this trick i'm going to do these scratches and then on month come monday you know everybody's going to want to put me on on instagram you know <laughs> they want to follow me they want to follow my social media you know and and, and then it's you know, as i like to say then it's on like a pot of neck bones as far as like getting those next gigs and stuff concerning being i suppose that's that's a perfect place to uh to wrap this up that that uh to simplify what both of you do you're both making memories and you're both rocking the house victoria and jp guns aka johnny price are both teaching artists johnny at street level urban gateways and bach to rock teaching about dj skills turntablism mixing scratching and showmanship his website is jpguns.com and victoria is at creative tribe dojo and with an ongoing uh, virtual series and Com Unity that she created, teaching about innovation in invention, how to ignite, sustain, and your creative spark, creative entre- entrepreneurship. And again, we're just really skimming the surface. Find her at creativetribedojo.com. And uh, uh, the name of your uh, podcast, one more time. The Victoria Reeves Show. Which is, <laughs> which is really, really fun. Um, I've, I've downloaded a couple and uh, was listening to them today in the, in the car. It's, it's it's a real, it'll put a smile on your face, if nothing else. And you're, you're definitely going to learn something about, uh, about creativity from some wonderful guests. You've got, you've had some great guests that we have. We have a street level performer coming up at the end of this month, actually. Nice. Nice. Well, I, I, I'm a subscriber, so I, I will be, uh, I'll, I'll be waiting, waiting patiently. AWC Turk, can I uh, just tell you like some some things that some performances that I'm going to be in coming Please, up? Please, absolutely. Um, yeah, coming up um, on starting on June 2nd, there's the Thursday night market, which is going to be in downtown Evanston in Fountain mm-hmm. Square. And that's mm-hmm. from the hours of 4 p.m. until 8 p.m. And I was so you come down there and get a chance. Is that to, every like, Thursday for you? It's going to be every first Thursday every of the month. Every first Thursday of the month. Okay, yeah. great. Until yeah. September. Yeah, right. June June till September and coming up starting on June 6th, every Monday, I'll be at the Monday night cruise in car shows in, uh, and it's brought to you by the Skokie Chamber of Commerce. And it's mm-hmm. going to be at, at the old orchard parking lot behind the, the, the mall there in the, in the big parking lot over I, there. I know exactly where it's at. Yeah. And that's 6 PM until sunset and get a chance to check out some, you know, like, like a lot of vintage cars some really cool cars and, and I'll be and I'll be playing playing on, you know. And I'm I'm booked for ten shows, so All it's right. gonna be it's gonna be a stone groove. So nice. that's every Monday until every Monday. Monday like oh yeah, that's every Monday from July. six p.m. Six yes yeah huh? start oh yeah start starting in uh, June. So June sixth is the first one until August twenty second. Nice. And, and, yeah, and that's so every Monday and from six p.m. until sunset. So that's Thank you guys. Monday night cruising car show. You guys are the best. You Thank really you. are. <laughs> we adore you. We adore you. Back, you are ba- back at you. Back <laughs> at you. <laughs> my man, all the way from Pierre Washington. My man, DJ, JP Gunn. You know what I'm saying? 
I'd like to thank my guests, DJ JP Guns and Victoria Reeves. And we'll link to the Victoria Reeves Show on YouTube, Vision Career Coaching, Creative Tribe Dojo, and DJ JP Guns in the notes below. Please help support Playtime by simply clicking the subscribe button below to receive notifications on future episodes of Playtime with WC Turk. House music all night long. House music all night long. House music all night long. House music. House music. House music all night long. Oh, 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 oh,